Good morning, Eastview. How's everyone doing? It is good to be back here. I was here about a month ago, and then we had Pastor Tommy, and then um, Aaron, who looks like Wolverine, was here for the past two weeks. It's a good-looking man right now. Uh, and uh, we're talking about a miracle, and I'm excited because this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, John chapter 6. And, and before we do that, I, I want you to understand that there's a difference between the natural. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. If I gave you a basketball, it's an inanimate object, it's just a basketball. And some of you in this room, you know what to do with a basketball. And you go over to the gym, you, you know what to do. But there's a difference between if I handed you a basketball and I handed Steph Curry a basketball. It's the same basketball. It's just someone actually knows what to do with it. And some of us don't. I've learned this recently because for Father's Day, I got a grill and I was so excited. I've been watching all of these YouTube videos on how to become a grill master. I've watched the most wild and weirdest grilling. They all have like names for themselves. Um, I've been watching this and learning about smoking and charcoal grills. I've been like in it. And then I made my first meal and it was terrible. And I, I call my buddy who's South African, who is a grill master, and, and he, he was like, oh, you, you did it wrong. And I'm like, why? We have, I bought the same grill that you have. I put the same amount of charcoal. I did exact, it's the same thing. But he knows what to do with it, and I don't. Now, some of you feel that way about photography, uh, for some of you, uh, you know how to take a picture that can actually be posted on Instagram. Some of you, you're like, I don't know how to do it, so you give it to your kids. And they know how. Somehow, they know how to take the picture. And all photography is, the literal like, definition of the word means to write about the light. And really, photography is chasing the light. And my wife is an artist. She is a photographer. She knows how to do it. Me, not so much. It's the same phone, it's the same camera, it's the same basketball, it's the same like grilling utensils, but sometimes we have natural gifts that can do something, and some of us just don't. What's interesting though is when you study the scriptures, you realize that there's a difference between the natural and actual theology, and here's what I mean, is the truth is when you study the scriptures, the scriptures have incredible insights and values and teachings on something that isn't natural, it's actually available to every single one of us. And that would be stuff like time. Every one of us in this room has the same amount of time in a given week, 168 hours. And if we follow the way the scriptures teach us, we'll actually live a more joyful and flourishing life. The same thing's true with money. Every one of us who has a job, we actually get paid, hopefully. We get paid, but when we get paid, if we follow biblical theology, we know how to make money behave. But some of us, we've not learned that. And with time or with money or with gifting, sometimes we end up missing out. But there's something that's even different than that because when theology actually hits the natural, when you actually begin to look at what has been entrusted to you, into your hands, into your life, into your story, 
when you begin to actually understand that there has been stuff that has been entrusted to you and you allow the theology and the spirit of God to do something with that, the natural becomes supernatural. And that's at the heart of what miracles really are. It's about people who are surrendered to what has been entrusted to them and they know there is a massive difference about the natural gifting and the supernatural. And when you actually begin to orient your life to go, oh, this has been entrusted to me. I I know, I'm just a guest. This is my second time here. Probably after this teach, I'll never be invited back. But here's my hope, all right? Here's my hope. My hope is that every single one of you in this room or watching online, you would take a hard look, hard inventory of what has been entrusted to you. Because sometimes what can, can happen is we can go, oh, what happens on the stage is supernatural. That, those people who have that, that unique gifting know the truth is that every single one of us here, we have something that if we can actually surrender it over to Jesus and allow the power of the spirit, it can be profoundly multiplied. If you don't believe me, look at John chapter six. In John chapter six, we learn about a rabbi who's teaching. It says this in verse one. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So Jesus is healing people. And people are like, dude, this rabbi actually heals people. And people get caught up in the signs, the miracles. So much so that they're like following his boat on the water. And they're like, there he is, there he is. Some are actually getting into boats, but people are watching him. Oh, he's docking there. And they end up coming to a mountainside and Jesus finds himself seated. And he's talking to his disciples and all of a sudden crowds begin to show up. Verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, meaning Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And then Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So 5,000 men, that's not counting wives and that's not counting kids. You just imagine how many people, 12, 14, 15,000 people. Continues on, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be wasted. That's such an important word for us. Let nothing that's been entrusted to us be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I'm gonna skip down because Jesus then goes into a whole riff on how he is the bread of life. And in verse 26, it says this, Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him, God the father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I don't know if you've ever seen the place where scholars and teachers believe that Jesus actually performed this miracle. There's actually a church and they call it the church of multiplication. And this is actually a picture where they've actually created around the rock at which they believe that Jesus actually did this miracle. And you can go there and it's, it's a powerful, powerful sight. But I've often wondered, I've often wondered because you've got to understand that when a rabbi would teach, the rich would sit on one side and the poor would sit on another side. There was a massive divide. And the rich were smart enough and rich enough and wealthy enough to actually have food. And they would come prepared. The poor, not so much. And whenever you begin to hear Jesus' teachings, whether the Sermon on the Mount, you begin to understand that this kingdom expression, the kingdom of God, there is this inbreaking of heaven invading earth and that we all have a part to play. And I imagine sometimes Jesus would be teaching and wondering, do the wealthy get it? Wondering, do the people actually get it? Do the poor actually long for it and want it? I often wonder if Jesus found himself teaching going, are they actually understanding what I'm saying? Or do they just like the stories and the healings? And in this moment, he asks Philip this beautiful question. How are we going to feed all these people? And it goes all to logical. It's how most men think, right? Wives ask us a question. We're like, well, facts. This is how we can do it or how it can't happen. And that's how Philip answers. And Andrew shows up and goes, well, here's a boy who's got some fish and bread. And I think about this. I think about a junior high student sitting, listening to the teachings about the kingdom of God. And this junior high student getting up going, I don't have much, but I have this, Rabbi. I have this. I mean, what, what, what got in this young man, this young boy's eyes to think what had been entrusted in his hands could be a blessing to the whole. And it's through this process that all of a sudden you see this multiplication, this miracle happen. I ask you again, what has been entrusted to you, Eastview? What has been entrusted into your hands? And if you actually could understand that what has been entrusted into your hands could actually multiply way beyond you in a way that actually would leave a legacy that would point people to the mystery and the manifold wisdom of God. 
For many of us, we sit there and we go, I don't think God could use this. I don't think God could do this. What this young boy understood is a word that has been, in my opinion, has been pushed to the sidelines, is a word that many of us don't actually really understand from a biblical perspective. And in Greek, it's these two words, oikos and nomos. And when I was sharing this with someone, they're like, oh, yogurt. That's, that's what that is, <laughs> yogurt. But oikos is where you get the idea of households, household affairs. Nomos is where you, you get this idea of like law or rule. And when you bring these two words together, it's where we get the, the word like economy or ecology. But really in the ancient Near East, when oikos and nomos were brought together, it's where we got the word stewardship. And stewardship was synonymous with leadership in the ancient Near East. And again, this is what happens is when we start to hear stewardship, we just think money. And that's unfortunate. Because what I want to do is I want to bring you in to how the first church understood how a 12-year-old boy, I'm just saying he's 12 years old, how this like junior high age boy understood with what he had, how he was the perfect picture of oikos nomos, of stewardship. And how when we understand what stewardship is and we have the right posture, we allow for the chance for miracles to happen. What I'm going to share with you is something I learned from a man by the name of Bill Peel. And Bill Peel talks about the principles of stewardship. The principles of stewardship. And there's four of them. And the first principle is the principle of ownership. Because what we often have to recognize, first and foremost, is what has been entrusted in our hands Who owns it? Who owns it? Who owns your time? Who owns your company? Who owns your gifts? Who owns it? And you have to understand that from a very central understanding of Jewish discipleship was Psalms 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which means all of our stuff, all of our possessions, everything, our kids, our time. When you begin to recognize that everything that you have is a gift, and I get it, I get it in Western capitalistic society, we're like, no, I earned this. Well, you're going to fail as a steward right there. No, 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 this is mine. I built this company. I get it. Well done. Well done. Natural gifting, well done. It's just not supernatural. And here is the truth, is when you can begin to recognize that everything, the air that you breathe in right now, it's a gift. The time that you have this week, it's a gift. The kids that you have or don't have, it's a gift. Everything that you have is a gift that God has entrusted into your hands. The next part is, under the principle of stewardship, is the principle of responsibility. How responsible am I being with what has been entrusted to me? How responsible 
am I being with that vision God has given to me? How responsible am I being with that spouse that God has given to me? How responsible am I being with the time that God has given to me? And, and you can read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, as each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I love that word manifold. It means multicolored, multi-aspect. It's just so big. It's even hard to contain this manifold grace of God. And you've been given these gifts. You have been entrusted by God with the time, with the talents, with the treasure, with your story. You have it. The question is, are we responsible with it? And I'll be honest, much of the days and a week go by and there's so much in my life that I'm irresponsible. I have these questions I, I try and ask myself, almost like a prayer of examine each day. But one of them is centered around what I call Spider-Man theology. With great power comes great responsibility. And I ask myself every single day for the most part in the last 24 hours, how have I been responsible or irresponsible with the gifts and the talents that God has given to me? How have I been so responsible with what is God has entrusted to me or where have I been irresponsible with that? I haven't worked on my craft. I haven't pursued my wife. I haven't spent time with the Lord. I haven't been honest with my sin. Where is the places in our life where we're responsible and irresponsible? This third principle of, of stewardship, you go from ownership to responsibility to the principle of accountability. Again, I never learned this. Growing up in a church, nobody told me, hey, someday you are gonna be held accountable. I knew for my sin, which always scared me, but I didn't even know that I would be held accountable for the gifts that God had entrusted to me. I thought I was gonna be held accountable. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I partake in that? Yes, Lord, grace, grace, grace. I didn't know that someday I would be held accountable for actually how I stewarded my time, how I stewarded my gift, how I actually used my story. And for many of us, if our ownership perspective is off, our responsibility is off, we're gonna, we're gonna just kind of push accountability away. And the more that we do that, the more we miss out on the miracles that God wants to actually embody in us and through us and for us and for those around us. I love how 1 Corinthians chapter four writes about this. It says, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. And you know what the word trust is all about. It's when you have safety and consistency again and again, over and over. This is essential to every friendship, every marriage, is when you have trust that you are a safe person and you are consistent over and over again and again. And part of being this, this steward is being trustworthy and actually seeing it as a privilege to give an account for how you are using what you have been entrusted with. 
See, sometimes when you see accountability, it's just, oh, I'm negative, negative. Actually, that's a gift. It is, it is a privilege to actually give an account. God, this is how I stewarded my time. This is how I chose to steward my day. Yesterday, before I drove in, I live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Go Cubs. I know I shouldn't say that here. <laughs> it's a divided house, I hear. I hear it's a divided house. Some of you prefer the third best team in our division. Some of you prefer the last place team in our division. I get that. I get that. I get that. Now, hear me. I got to give an account for that. I'm not being held accountable. I know. But I'll tell you this. Before I drove down, I went to a funeral of a 94-year-old man. His name was Jim Gobert. Jim Gobert's father, George Gobert had a little farm stand in Arlington Heights, vegetable farm stand. And George handed the farm stand over to Jim. And Jim had a vision. He had this vision of not just having a farm stand, but actually selling the farm stand and buying 40 acres in a little town that didn't really exist called South Barrington. And South Barrington, this man built this farm and he had this vision to go, man, I imagine all of these families being able to come and get vegetables, to come and get pumpkins and to come and have apple cider and have incredible cinnamon donuts. And this man had good Christian values. He was a good man. And then he handed the company over to his three kids. And now Jim's grandsons are leading out. And at 94 years old, this man, after Father's Day, passed. And I I think to myself, man, in many ways, he wasn't a pastor. He loved the church. But in many ways, he actually was. Because the amount of moments and photographs, and every time you drive by that corner, there's this this moment where I remember these times with my little daughter, Mercy. I remember watching the pig races with my son. I remember going to get pumpkins with my family. I remember, and this guy, it was a vision. And I I found myself this on the drive down here thinking, what if he said, God, I don't want to do that. Ah. The legacy, the visitation for this man, there was a waiting line of two to three hours to get in because of the amount of people, the generosity, the vision, the moments, the legacy of what this man did. When I look at him, I imagine him going into heaven and imagine God looking at him going, you were a good steward. You understood that I gave you this. You understood what it meant to be responsible. And you know what it meant because you knew that you were going to give an account and you trusted and you raised up the next generation and the next generation. You did that. Because of that, the fourth principle of stewardship, which is the principle of reward. And this was the understanding for the disciples. This was the understanding of the first church. This was the understanding. And somehow stewardship became leadership. We love leadership. It's only mentioned a couple times in the Bible, but we love leadership. That sells. You write a book about stewardship, nobody wants it. You write a book and you change the title to leadership, everyone buys it. But biblically, 
Where's this understanding? Man, God, you entrusted. I'm going to be responsible. And I know I'm going to be held accountable, but if I do this the way you have taught me to do it through your book, if I do this the way I watched your son do it, if I do this empowered by the Spirit, man, it's, there's going to be a reward, not just on this life, but also in the life to come. And Colossians chapter 3 says it so beautifully, where it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Is working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that the Lord will, that you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I love this. Because every single day that you wake up, it's a gift. The question is, how are you going to spend that gift? And I want you to look at these four words. When you see these words, ownership, plus responsibility, plus accountability, plus reward. My son's taking summer school for geometry. Uh, I don't know why. He just wants to get ahead in math. He's a total firstborn. And, and he's, he's showing me all these geometry problems. And so I just like messing with my kids all the time. So I, I'm like, I got a geometry problem. S equals O plus R plus A plus R. Figure it out. He's like, this doesn't make sense. I'm like, no, it totally makes sense. And then I was like, stewardship plus ownership plus responsibility plus accountability plus reward. And he's like, that's not how geometry works. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what the Bible says. <laughs> I also love sending my, my kids texts. Do this. This will just mess with them. Send your, 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 your son a text and just put all these random letters in a row. Because that's how they talk, Right? <laughs> So just put random letters, E-N-D-S-O-J-P, exclamation point. And they'll be like, what? And they'll start thinking in their mind, how does my dad or mom know hipper, cooler language on text message? And they're like, what are you talking about? And then just make up words with those letters, send it back to them. It bugs my kids. (laughs) But I will be asked to give an account and I will say, that was funny. I don't even care. I don't even care. But here's what I really want you to see. Is you have to really ask yourself, what what has God entrusted in your hands? I just want you to really ponder that for a moment. What has God entrusted in your hands? And, And again, I know all of a sudden you can think possessions, you can think stuff, you can think money, whatever. I don't care about that stuff. I'm thinking about something that's, that's wildly more long-lasting. Every, every guy I know, every sincere mom and grandma I know, when I really ask them, what do you hope? They hope that they can leave a legacy. That something about their life will continue on past them. And I love going back to John chapter six, when I ask you, what has God entrusted in your hands? I want you to think about this. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils. And because I've been working for a long time for food that spoils. For stuff I'm not gonna actually take in the next reality, for stuff that's actually not gonna leave a legacy. For some of us, we have been working our tails off for food that spoils and minimizing what God has entrusted in our hands. 
But we are to work, the verse says, for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So the real test and the real task is that every single one of us would actually be working not for food that spoils, but for food that endures. Food, I love how the verse says, that the Son of God has given to you, has entrusted to you. There's like the seal of approval that it's like when God was dreaming this whole thing up, he's like, I'm going to give it to you and you and you and you and you. And the question now is, how are you stewarding that? When you think about stewardship as ownership plus responsibility plus accountability plus rewards in regards to your time. Think about this, 168 hours. Are you spending that towards food that will spoil? Or are you actually spending it on the stuff that will endure? Matters of faith, matters of character formation, matters of transformation, matters of like knowing your neighbors. Think about this, stewardship as ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your talent to your natural gifting. I went to a business leader's office and I was sitting in this guy's massive, massive leader, massive leader. I walk in and I, he walks me through the entire plan. I mean, it's just amazing. Just blocks and blocks and blocks of buildings. And as I walk in there, he just said, it's all a gift, Steve. All I ever wanted was for God to breathe life into this. This is... It's his. Here's a guy who fundamentally understood ownership, responsibility, accountability, reward with his talent. And somehow that natural gifting with the Holy Spirit's breath became supernatural. Let me ask you this, because I actually believe this, not just because I like superheroes. But stewardship is ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your superpower, to your spiritual gift. So your gift isn't about you. Your gift is that people will be able to see Christ at work in you. Here's the crazy piece. Here's the crazy piece. You know that every spiritual gift leads people to Jesus. Every spiritual gift leads people to Jesus. Because sometimes people come up to me like, well, Steve, you have the gift of evangelism. And I'm like, no, we all do. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like, if you have the gift of hospitality, what is that? You create safe and secure environments for people to experience the presence of God. And when they experience the presence of God, that makes them feel seen and known by who? Jesus. If you have the gift of mercy, what is that? Oh, you are the hands and feet of who? Jesus. If you have the gift of leadership, what is that? You find your heart's desire is to bring the values of heaven to the dining room table or to every boardroom, living room, gathering room that you enter so that people can encounter who? Jesus. Every spiritual gift leads people to Jesus. And you gotta, you gotta begin to look at that and go, do I even know my spiritual gifts? 
Because the truth is there's so many Christ followers, sincere Christ followers, where God has entrusted them with something and they're like, yeah, I don't think that's actually anything. It's just administration. Are you kidding me? I don't, I don't even know how to sign into my email account. I have no administrative skills. But when you see someone who can just organize, what is it called, Excel? Whatever that thing is called. Like when you see that, you're like, that leads me to Jesus. Because I don't know how to do it. But think about this. Stewardship as ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your treasure. In regards to the gift of money. And you know, like almost 2,400 verses in the Bible deal with money. I think 66% of Jesus's teachings deal with money. And it's not because he's looking for more of your money. What he knows is that money can just really jack up your understanding of ownership and responsibility and accountability and reward. And when you get that right, man, you begin to understand not to have money misbehave and make you misbehave, but you can make money behave and allow it to bless other people. What about this? Stewardship is ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your redemption story. When's the last time you shared your redemption story? The story of how you became a Christ follower. You know what's funny? Is yesterday I showed up to downtown Marriott. I was hungry because I'd driven, went from a funeral and drove here. I sit down at the little bar area. I'm watching some U.S. men's national team soccer. There's this sweet older couple seated beside me. They live, live up near Rockford, Illinois. They're chopping. And then this younger guy comes and sits down. He starts talking with the older woman. And I'm just watching him and he's engaging. And I, I can see him talk about his faith, talk about his story. He's talking about why he's here. He's like, oh, my best friend, who's a worship leader at a larger church in the area, his, his daughter got uh, married yesterday, so I'm here. And then, and then I'm, 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 they asked me to play keys at the church. I was like, oh, that's crazy. I said, which, I'd like reached over, I interrupted. I'm like, what church are you playing at? He's like, Eastview. You know where the guy is? That guy right there. <laughs> he lives in Minnesota. And I, I'm sitting here, I'm like, dude, this, I watched this guy. And then he was like talking about how in his church in Minnesota, like they do marital counseling. And he's talking to this, this woman who's been married for 50 some years. And they're like talking about faith. And I just sat there and I was like, that's a good steward right there of his redemption story. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was a junior high student playing basketball with older kids the first Christians I ever saw were two guys. Their names were Dominic and Nathan. They were juniors in high school, but they went by the name Dominate, which is just awesome. <laughs> and I'll never forget Dominic coming up to me and going, hey, Carter, you want to learn how to dominate life? And for the next six months, Dominic and Nathan dominate picked me up and they took me to In-N-Out because I grew up in Southern California. And if you've never been to In-N-Out, it's where, yeah, yes, Lord. It's where the Shekinah glory of God descends in burgerly form. And they talked to me about Jesus. And within six months, I was entering into one of those tanks to be baptized. It transformed my life. And from that moment, Dominic and Nathan look at me and go, now you gotta go help your parents dominate life. 
And I sometimes wonder, man, what if Dominic said, no, God, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna share my redemption story with that kid. He's a junior higher. And someday he's gonna get to heaven and the multiplication effect of that one yes and how that one yes got to me, but got to my parents and got to thousands of other people all because of his yes. You have a redemption story. It's been entrusted into your hands. How are you sharing it? A couple more. Stewardship as ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your struggles and suffering. The truth is, sometimes when we think of stewardship, we think of money and just the good stuff. But some of you have tasted struggle. You have tasted addiction. You have tasted the pain of sin. You have tasted and experienced profound suffering. And I'm telling you what, the people who have risen from those moments and had a profound resurrection account because of what God has done, then they find themselves sitting with other people who are in the midst of their grief. And they can just say two words, me too. I get it, me too. And somehow, oh man, they recognize they're not the owner of their stories, but man, they're responsible for how they use it. They know that they're gonna give an account. How did I give away even my struggles, my sin, my suffering, so that someone can actually experience the reward of resurrection? And lastly, stewardship is ownership, responsibility, accountability, and reward in regards to your service, to serving others, to serving this church, to serving the people in your small group. And I'm telling you what, friends, if you live by this, just try it for a week. You live like this, you are setting the table for the miraculous, for the supernatural to happen. Because you recognize it's not mine. It's life, it's your life. I'm responsible and I will give an account, but I'm gonna do everything I can to point people to the one true God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray right now. I just wanna pray over you that you would just trust God with what he's entrusted to you. God, I pray right now that we would not be foolish stewards, naive stewards. And we wouldn't be people who are just so dedicated to leadership, but we would be people who are fully aware of what stewardship is about. God, I pray that there would be more people within Eastview that would be like that young boy who just brought what he had and believed in Jesus's hands, it can be multiplied. And God, I can't even imagine the visions that you want to give to the people here, the miracles that you want to actually use these people to play a part of in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their schools. But all of it, all of it begins with our declaration that we trust you for what you have entrusted to us. Nothing is wasted. We are not chasing bread that will spoil. We are chasing after food that will endure forever. So God, I pray that you would bless my friends, keep them, be gracious to them, and let them trust you fully with what you've entrusted to them. And all God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace.